0: This is Dr. Aaron Kuzel, and this is the Louisville Pre-Hospital Care Podcast. So, Netflix, talk a little bit about decon. And when I mean decon, I want to talk. You know, I'm I'm not an expert in, in hazmat and and stuff. Yes, I've done the hazmat technician course, and sure, uh, our toxicology and hazmat colleagues would be a lot more more qualified to speak about this. But let's talk a little bit about some of the decon that we do for toxicology just in brief and not just water and and soap suds but also activated charcoal and what that means let's start with activated charcoal what are the indications and when is it most appropriate to use and what are some of the pitfalls and concerns or contraindications when talking about activated charcoal
1: yeah, so activated charcoal, I'm sure a lot of you guys carry it on your truck, and this is probably the only part of decontamination I'm even qualified to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not in the GI tract or inside the body, I don't deal with it. So activated charcoal, um, to be honest with you, I'm not a huge fan of it, and I don't think like if you talk across the toxicologic community, a lot of people aren't a fan of it either. Um, basically, its indication is an ingestion within an hour of, of Really, you could use it with anything. You know, there's certain things that are more concerning than other. that I would be like, yeah, you, we might as well just try this. Like, you pick up somebody that's took a bunch of their calcium channel blockers or their beta blockers or, you know, digoxin, that kind of stuff. Basically, if you wanted to do a blanket statement, it would be any ingestion within an hour. Having said that, I, I don't really necessarily think that it's going to make or break the case. You know, used to what we would do was give people syrup of ipecac and if you've never seen the family guy episode type in family guy ipecac and that'll give you a good idea of i've never seen that oh it's terrible (laughs) it's terrible so we don't make people vomit anymore as a matter of fact we try to keep them from doing it because a lot of these patients especially if they're acutely poisoned they might be altered and vomiting would be the worst thing in the world they could do They'll, they'll aspirate and they'll and they'll choke on it Which is another reason, like, you know, we don't really like – if your patient's altered or, you know, they're drowsy or something like that, I would never give them activated charcoal. I wouldn't even give them the ability to even possibly aspirate on that.
0: But poison control does recommend activated charcoal, especially within the hours, especially when you're talking about Tylenol. Oh, yeah. That's, like, the most popular because Tylenol is so deadly – in such a large amount of substance, at a certain doses, uh, greater than the four grams per day, um, that it's sometimes the, the risk is worth, the the benefit is outweighs the risk every, every time. So there are things that charcoal's good for, and Tylenol within the first hour is probably really good. And uh, some ways that we go past it, even when they're altered and they're intubated, is we do uh, through an NG tube, where we right. put it through an NG tube. But I wouldn't recommend that in the field. It's just something that we do. It's But you know things like iron and lithium, um heavy metals aren't charcoal's not gonna have any effect on them, right
1: like like you said, I think it I said I'm not a fan of it, but there are times that I'm definitely like if it's a concerning toxin, like 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 you said, Tylenol or some of our you know our um like beta blockers, calcium channel blockers, those kind of things like that i something that I know is gonna end up bad news if it gets systemic then I'm more than happy to do it. I think the risk outweighs the benefit in that case, and then we're just going to do it. If they're already intubated and they have an NG tube, I'm not worried about them aspirating. Sure. We can go ahead and do that too. Um, You can also suction from your NG tube as well. Um, So we can aspirate that way. Talking about that, gastric lavage, we don't really do that anymore. Not really much anymore. I've seen seen it a couple of times over my career, and it was – it was things that were very concerning that the patient took. Like, you know, one of them was a huge beta blocker overdose or a huge calcium channel blocker overdose. So we lavaged that patient. But yeah, so activated charcoal, you know, if you you roll up and your patient's altered and you're like, I think this person might either pass out or vomit or any combination of it in the next few minutes, I'm not going to give it. Also, anytime, this is something that I do in the department, anytime a resident orders activated charcoal, I make them take some of it. (laughs) <laughs> I make them taste it. If you've never dealt with the stuff, it's it's so hard to deal with. So basically, it's a black. It's black, obviously. It's charcoal. There's a liquid component, and then there's like this mushy component, and you have to shake it to get it to go into solution. If you pour it in the cup, the patient drinks it. So they look ridiculous. It doesn't taste great. They have a real hard time stomaching it. It's a mess. Like, I, every time I've given it to somebody, I have like black palms for at least a couple of days. It doesn't come out well in the shower you know like i have pictures on my phone every time we've given like high dose activated charcoal and everybody in the picture looks like a coal miner so like just take that with a great salt. so
0: th- you know sometimes though i had we had uh it wasn't my patient but one of uh, another doctor's patient had a four-year-old and told it was chocolate milk and he she drowned it real really? easy yeah
1: wow uh there are some tidbits if you look out there everybody's got some uh everybody's got like their tricks like some people mix it with chocolate milk now i i tried to do that one time and the concoction it made itself made me want to vomit it was just a black brown just mess <laughs> and then i've tried it with apple juice the patient, I personally have not done it. The patient said it was okay, in orange juice and things like that. So if you can like mix it with something, that's totally fine to do. But it's still probably not gross. what you'll be able to do in the field. Yeah, you're, in the hospital. unless you keep a
0: unless you keep an orange juice behind your back seat. Use your partner's chocolate milk that he's been saving up for the yeah. whole shift. <laughs> yeah, sorry, bud, I need this. Give right me your yoo-hoo.
1: <laughs> exactly, but yeah, the, as far as gastric decontamination, honestly, the the evidence that we've gotten over years and years of use is, is pretty poor. And there's still instances we're going to do it because we want to give whatever the pa- patient took was that concerning, that we want to do whatever we can to get it out of there. So, but as far as you know, decontamination of skin and things like that, you know, me and you were talking about before the podcast, this is an area that I don't know a whole lot about. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm a pharmacist. I keep my hands clean. <laughs> so just the the varying bit of evidence on just you know skin decontamination what all is out there and you know what agent to use and to avoid you know potentially using water on stuff that's hydrophilic and things like that and even the duration of time is just kind of all over the place
0: yeah it 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 very dependent on what chemical you're doing with and you know hopefully if you're in a situation where you have a chemical exposure where you're worried about hydrophilic chemicals that you have some type of hazmat team on scene that they've secured and decon the patient. This is something that's probably more on the fire side than EMS. Of course, many of us here in Jefferson County who work in the fire service probably have some hazmat I know um, I just graduated as a hazmat technician with several Anchorage medics, uh, Anchorage Middletown medics who are now hazmat certified. So um, hopefully we have some general knowledge of it, but usually we want to leave that to the experts. Now, there are many different courses that exist to give us a little bit of familiarity, like FEMA has one at the Center for Domestic Preparedness, which is uh, the HERT class. Um, There's also, you know, the hazmat technicians for your fire-based services that you can learn a little bit more about decontamination. Uh, But most of the time when you're looking at it from an EMS and emergency medical standpoint, uh, when you don't really get into the specifics, anything with water is probably going to be fine. We just had one that came in with hydrofluoric acid and the recommendation was like 15 minutes. And that's really coming from Goldfrank's, which is the, the gold standard Bible of toxicology, uh, Dr. Goldfrank's textbook um, about that. And that's really what the gold standard is, not really what EMS has, not what emergency medicine have. We really just kind of defer to the toxicologist when it comes to uh, decontamination and, to, and then to the experts within the disaster service.
1: Right, exactly. And I guess, like, the take-home point there is if you if you have a question or if you are the least bit concerned, reach out and ask somebody before you're acting. I know, like, you know, a lot of the places that have, like, the hydrofluoric acid patient, was, mm-hmm. it was from a factory. So a lot of these things might be from a factory. And they have – they the person's likely to already be decommed by the time you get there. Like, right. they, have, they have these super strict protocols in place. And, you know, they'll give you the MSDS, and you'll be able to see, like, what the treatment actually is. Um, so, yeah, just make sure that um, – if that's available that you are reviewing it at least
0: and in my conversation with the manufacturer uh, the individual who got exposed the company called me and I said you know what did you all do and I asked specifically and then I said well we're going to decon again <laughs> right. I said how long did you decon I said great I'm going to do that again <laughs> exactly, because I don't also want to risk my cruiser also my my or my EMS or also uh, my my emergency department because if you imagine it's like the same idea with like you don't put a contaminated jet fuel person on a helicopter. If you put a contamination to a helicopter, the helicopter is now out of service forever. It's the same thing emergency medicine. Can you imagine if you bring a patient with organophosphate toxicity into or some type of contaminant into emergency department, that emergency department is now shut down or wherever they are in that certain place is now shut down. So if you bring it right through triage, you've now cut off that access point until it gets appropriately deconned.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, when in doubt, do a little bit more That's what it seems like, you know, the recommendations. Or give us a heads up so we can put it to the right place. (laughs) Right, exactly.
0: Well, Nick, it was so great to have you again to talk a little bit about uh, toxicology. I know um, a lot of our EMS partners love hearing you get on the podcast, so thank you again for joining us and taking the time.
1: Yeah, thanks, Aaron. I appreciate it. And Like I said, anytime I can, you know, do anything to help you guys out, please let me know if you see me around and you have questions, let me know. Um, like I said, we're going to continue this segment. We're going to talk a little bit more about the specific you know, toxodromes that we were talking about, and go into depth, and um, I'm going to involve our, our residents a little bit, so like I said, Dr. Katie Van Bladen, and Dr. Carly Lauder-Milk, we'll, you'll hear from them in the coming months, um, so stay tuned.
0: Stay tuned, and thank you again for joining us on our spooky, spooky session.